You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative, and here to talk with me about the assembled Avengers is John Mills. Indeed, I am broadcasting from an undisclosed location where, inconveniently, you have trapped my left arm in some sort of machine press. I don't appreciate that, Matt. Well, I mean, if you didn't try to blow something up, I wouldn't have to. Okay, see, the thing is that that feels a little judgy to me. Uh, Sometimes things need to be blown up, and I don't appreciate you uh, doing that. You got to let me be me, man. Come on. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, we uh, are now in phase three, kicking it off. And we're going to start with the Civil War. Uh, But before we get there, uh, we want to remind you, uh, you know, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we would definitely appreciate it if you would hit us up uh, on Twitter. In fact, if you follow us on Twitter at The 602 Club, you could win a free Star Wars book. All you got to do is follow us by January 25th, and you could be the lucky winner. And it's um, a wonderful copy of Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire from the Essential Legends collection. It's mint condition. Um, I'm really excited to send this to somebody. It's it's a fantastic book. And so, again, just follow us on Twitter. Uh, of course, you can find us on uh, Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, maybe listen on Apple Podcasts. Give us a star rating review. Uh, that'll help people find the show. Uh, and, and if you listen on Spotify, Spotify listeners, you can now rate podcasts so help us out give us a rating on spotify and of course you can find us online at trek.fm on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm listeners only discussion group called the babel conference you can join there as well if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world but john i gotta ask you a question so as we dive into civil war there's no really Mm -hmm. behind the scenes like drama because the Russo brothers come back and um, this though was a big year for films because it was Batman v Superman and Civil War coming out and so kind of like going into this one I mean were you excited that they were going to be telling this you know huge Marvel story and and kind of like this pivotal year where Batman met Superman and then you know, Captain America and Iron Man were going to fight. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, who wasn't excited about Civil War? And I, I you know, I, I'm i not the world's biggest comic book fan, but even I knew the Civil War arc from Marvel and how that went and where Cap stood on that and what everything was about. And I knew that they would never go as disturbing as they might have gone uh, in the comics with that, that... It, the the comic book Civil War arc had some really wild stuff happening in it, and it was really dark uh, at certain points, but I was super stoked for it. Which one was I more stoked for? I mean, I think we've covered it in plenty of conversations. I Make mine Marvel. Mm-hmm. I was all on board the Marvel train by this point, but specifically I was on board for this movie because the Russo brothers were coming back. Hey, the guys who made Winter Soldier are coming back. It was like, oh... Oh, cool. 
Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that I'm on board for. Absolutely. I, I mean, I know that you were more you were more excited for Batman v Superman, right? Oh yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, it, it, I was on the other side of that coin from you, you know, in the sense I, I liked the Marvel stuff. I wasn't a Marvel hater or anything, you know, not at all. I think we've all, you know, we covered that uh, pretty extensively here on this show. And of course with Snyder cuts, we've talked all about, you know, my love for man of steel. And so, yes, I was so excited, uh, when, uh, BVS was going to be coming out, but I was also excited about civil war. Um, you know, I mean, for me, uh, as we've talked about, Captain America is my favorite of the Marvel superheroes. And so the fact that they were going to be kicking off phase three with another Captain America movie was exciting. And so I was definitely poised and hyped for this film, just like everybody else, really. Um, and I, I don't know how you could be uh, not excited about this, really. Now, I wanted to ask you kind of. So this is only a question you could ask in retrospect, but I want to ask you before we dive into the film, do you think that this is a movie that maybe you should have not started off phase three with and maybe given it a little bit more time to kind of develop into this? Or do you feel like starting off phase three was the right time to tell the story? Oh, man. See, the thing is, uh, going all the way back to then, I remember the very first reactions that myself and my friends had was this was this was uh, Avengers 2.5. Yes. Like this movie, this movie basically stacked up as an apology for Age of Ultron. And that's how we that's how we took it. That's how we basically worked it. We ameliorated everything. We were like, yeah, okay, this this is the Avengers 2 that I wanted. And it just makes things regrettable in retrospect because we've talked about age of ultron already and highlighted all of its flaws and i can just tell you that i look at this and i just think to myself man whedon really screwed the pooch with all of this stuff because the necessary plot points that they introduced and this is where i'm going to give the russo brothers a lot of praise especially on this rewatch revisiting everything the russo brothers work in the additional plot points from Age of Ultron, the creation of Vision, Stanconia, and Scarlet Witch joining the team. It's worked in so seamlessly that it's like any other sequel that works well. Oh, that's something I miss. I can I can always double back. It's not vital to this story. They develop Vision and Wanda so well within the context of this movie that I didn't miss Age of Ultron. And in fact... I know that those plot points were necessary, but I sat there this time thinking to myself, boy, if there were some way that they could have swapped out some stuff that happened here for flashbacks to how they got on the team or something like that, it would have just made Age of Ultron even more pointless. And like watching this this time makes me like Age of Ultron even less just because it it just reinforces all of our criticisms. And I know that I'm sort of rambling. I'm sorry about that, but yeah, I mean, at the time, in retrospect, any way that you look at it, I think probably what the the misstep is, is that this should have been Avengers 2, and they would have freed up another movie somewhere along the way, like, I don't know, maybe a Black Widow movie, where they could have had Stankonia happen. 
You know, it, it's it's very interesting because for me, I I think that it would have been really nice to have maybe actually had a little bit more time between Age of Ultron and this, just because you know when you think of the timeline, they happen so fast you know, together, because it's only Age of Ultron, then you get Ant-Man, and then this. And and, and so it feels very quick. I I think there is a, there's a big section of this movie to which, you know, one of the things, um, you know, obviously in the comics that makes the battle between these two characters so pivotal is, you know, there's a lot more history involved for them together. And when you think about in all reality, there's not a lot of history with Cap and Iron Man. So that part doesn't feel as I think it doesn't have the quite the emotion that you might want for that just because... Mm. This, you know, we, we haven't spent as much time with these characters together. I'm going to disagree with you in this way. In that they were committed to the Infinity Stones happening. They had no choice. They That was the path that they were on. And I honestly think they had to hit the fast forward button to get this specific plot point out of the way so that they could refocus on that. They had to get this in there. Sure, that, I can understand I, that. And so, yes, it's hitting the accelerator. In terms of the lack of history, quote-unquote, between Tony and Cap, these are movies that you were seeing every so often. Right. And you had enough in your head that, just like Lucas skipping years from Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith, your head could put in, okay, well, Mm -hmm. there's stuff we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. I'll go with you. You've given me the important points that I need to know. I think the misstep that you might be really uh, teasing out here, though, is that Age of Ultron had this conflict happen between everybody where they weren't getting along and, you know, the team was strained and falling apart. And in many ways, it's a fight between Captain America and and Tony as, you know, their 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 worldviews coming to a clash you know and and so in a sense this winds up feeling a bit repetitive on that front mm, that, and i think yep. that's what it is is it feels yep. like the characters haven't advanced beyond where they were in the mm-hmm. last major conflict right. well and, 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 um, it, and it hurts yeah. the whole aspect of friendship again like the fact that right. when because you know obviously a big theme of this film is betrayal and the portrayal yeah. that Tony feels towards Cap. In fact, that's the very motivation for the very end, right? And and that's yeah. what Zemo has been trying to get them to the whole time is to create this sense of betrayal. And it would have, I think, played and, and again, this is not me like, you know, nitpicking the film or anything like I just feel like it would have played a little bit stronger if you had had those two characters having had a film where they had patched up their relationship, they were kind of back to being very close. And then this thing happens. Um, and so you, 
you do lose a little bit of what the film needs for it to work, I think, on gangbusters level. But again, that's not me saying that it doesn't work at all. It's just it's one of those things where, like you said, you hit this accelerator button. You know, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, these actors are, aren't getting any younger. The interesting thing, and it was apparent back then, it's been apparent through the years, but because we've done Snyder Cuts and now we're doing Assembling Avengers, this is my first time since then watching Batman v Superman and Civil War so close together. Usually there's a lot of distance between the two of them after the fact. What I want to throw to you, because the, the elevator pitch of this movie is Baron Zemo wants to destroy the Avengers, so he sets Captain America, our Superman, uh, our analogous Superman character, versus Iron Man, our analogous Batman character. And in a sense, I was completely surprised by the fact that essentially Civil War at its core has the same plot as Batman v Superman, where there's the question of government oversight. How are you going to live in a world with super superhero characters? How are you going to control them? What oversight power does the government have? And then you have this rogue agent setting our two main heroes against each other simply to cause conflict because he doesn't. Now, Zemo's uh, motivation is obviously substantially different from Luther's. But it, at its core, it just struck me how similar those those core structures are. I'm like, wow, the DNA of these two movies is so similar that I wonder if that winds up hurting both of them in a sense. Because they happen in such quick repetition that it really does just come down to a matter of taste of how do you like how the idea is explored. And I don't know. I mean, as a Batman v Superman fan, super fan from the beginning, did you pick up on that back then? Do, like, does it jump out at you? I mean, absolutely it did. And, you know, I think to me the thing was is that both films are dealing with similar subjects in, in different ways and in, in from like kind of like slightly different perspectives, a, a different point of view almost. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think this this movie I, I never not liked this movie I, I i always thought that it told its story well and 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 i you know i liked bvs more but i still liked this movie and you know i think you're absolutely right in the sense that they are telling very similar stories and on top of that i mean what's interesting is i think you know, Marvel had just built up all this goodwill, so by the time you got to the story, people just responded really well to it, and, and you know, DC didn't have the same type of goodwill, uh, and, you know, people just reacted in, in a different way to that film, and so I think it is, um, it's disappointing that people would react to BVS that way, we've already, already talked about yeah. all that, but yeah, yeah. here, you know, like, again... I thought that this told it well. Now, I do have to ask you, one of the interesting things about this is the government comes in and says, hey, you know, we've had all these events. And so basically we 
the world wants to put you under the guy or under the UN and we're going to have them tell you when you can go do stuff and when you can't go do stuff. And I was thinking to myself, like, all of these situations are situations in which without these superheroes, everybody would have died. And they didn't Mm -hmm. cause in and of themselves, except for Age of Ultron. And that's legitimately Tony's fault. Yes, but I I mean, we... (laughs) You know, this is how the political game is played. All you need, you could have this string of great things that happen and then one bad thing. And then they, you know, people use that to recharacterize everything that came before. Now, Zemo adds, I think, a little extra interesting flavor to it, too, because in this movie, they do exactly what, again, Batman v Superman does when thinking about the Battle of Metropolis, which is Zemo had lost during that. And all of a sudden, we recast the Battle of New York, where suddenly there are victims uh, of, right. of calamity that we just didn't see on screen. And it completely recharacterizes that. I think for the better... And I, I, I think Zemo winds up being a very interesting character right. uh, through all of this. I do, I do like him, but it's, um, you know, you're right. It comes at it from different perspectives. But in terms of that whole thing, I, I remember at the time, and I, <laughs> I suspect we were both Team Cap from the get-go. Because one of the things that always floored me was, I really think the Rousseau brothers, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, uh, it, it's Mc, it's McFeely and K I, mm-hmm. I, the, yeah. the screenwriters' names. They work in a very interesting and very good thing that really put me on Team Cap, mm-hmm. where Tony was having the argument with him, and the, the this moment in the movie always stuck with me of Tony saying, "Just go ahead and sign it. We can change it later." And Cap saying, "No. Once I sign it, you don't have any reason to change it." And you know, th- there was. Inside of me, there was somebody cheering silently in my brain saying, exactly, you can't, you can't accept that promise. And it's, um, I think as a, as a result, it's a little bit subversive in how it looks at the political situation of everything. And I think, I mean, I just got, I just got to ask, I mean, was there ever any moment you were team Tony here or, or team Iron Man? Like mm-hmm. I was team cap period from the start all the way through. No, I mean, there's there's never a point where I was uh, Team Tony ever. I mean, it was just never going to happen. Um, and partly is because, and in, in, in what's fascinating to me is I'm not sure how you could possibly be Team Tony when I look at the way the movie portrays it. Because mm-hmm. Tony here is driven specifically by grief. He's driven by... The knowledge of, yeah, he's the one who caused what happened in Sarkovia. And he is the, he then feels the weight of the loss of, um, that woman's son. And he's feeling the, the, the weight of knowing that he's the one who caused never, you know, 
that that person never having those connections with their parents again and and all the feelings he's feeling because of the loss of his own parents and you know all of that and at this point too because pepper is not in the film uh she was out of contract at this point so they use that as another like emotional chink in his armor um and so all of that it's like tony's not actually thinking rationally about this he's not thinking through um any of those type of things because he's only reacting emotionally and i mean again i'm on cap side because you know what i see is that a governmental power is preying upon the emotional state of these heroes um right. and when you're playing upon emotion and not intellectual thought it's much easier to pe- get people to go along with you um and i think you know we kind of really see that almost everybody who joins tony's side is kind of more emotionally invested um and not necessarily thinking clearly obviously black panther isn't we know that um we see um you know vision is a child (laughs) um and uh you you also see i think um you know you got war machine who is somebody who's he's a military guy he's used to taking orders you know so for him to kind of think outside that box is not for him and then you have the one character in here who will switch sides which is natasha and she i think switch sides is because she's been playing tony the whole time where she can finally help you know cap when she gets a chance although i do think that there's a part of her that feels emotionally responsible for the fact that she let loose all these secrets and maybe she has reservation about the fact that she had done that, you know? So again, all of these emotionally compromised people making this decision, where as I, I, I see everybody on cap side, they're coming at this from a really logical, thoughtful, they've read through the whole thing. Like Tony I, caps literally sitting there reading that he's like, have you read this? Like, yeah, nobody seems to have read it except for cap. Like, you know, um, and even somebody who is emotionally compromised, I think like, um, Wanda, she, I think gravitates towards cap strength. She gravitates towards, um, seeing him be able to take the lumps, you know, move past bad things happening. And I mean, it's not like she did that on purpose, you know, um, and I think she knows that too. Like the the destruction she caused was not a purpose; it was in the the goal to save lives. So, um, and she's yeah. been in prison before. She's been under the thumb of people telling her what to do. So again, like this, it it's well, so deep. But I don't think that they make a good case here for joining Tony's side. I, you know, the thing is, you could even peel apart the whole thing with uh with the mishap that happens in the in the battle at the beginning of the movie as you know, who are these governments who are, uh, please everybody understand that I'm speaking, I'm not taking any stance on anything. I'm, I'm just sort of like, you know, throwing out there that you could easily see cap or team caps stance being how dare these governments who go out and drone people all the time with extra ju- extra judicial actions how dare they say, oh, well, but you guys can't do that. It's like, well, wait a minute. You, well, you guys suck at this too. 
we we're, we at least know what's in our hearts when we're doing these things and when it's an accident and we at least own up to these things as opposed to, you know, press junkets and, uh, and, and spokespeople. And again, I'm not taking a stance on anything. I'm just saying that that's a very that's an additional thing that I could see in Cap's head uh, from 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 what's going on. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I I know I've qualified the hell out of everything I just said. So, you know, <laughs> the slings and arrows, whatever. But um, there's a uh, uh, something that I think is really interesting is I think that one of the things that winds up powering this. I, I want to get your take on this. It, that winds up powering the more positive audience reaction is you have the introduction of Spider-Man after all of these years, finally played by somebody who's age appropriate. I mean, you know, let's be honest. And Black Panther, who's a character that, I, I mean, old school comic book fans, if, if you'd have asked me 20 years ago, they're going to make a Black Panther movie or have Black Panther be a character in a movie. I'd be like, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. Because like that's an obscure comic book character uh, to to the to the normals, if you will, and it's such a great introduction. And Chadwick Boseman does such a great job with it, and Tom Holland does such a great job with Spider Man. Do you think that this winds up getting the leg up because it has these two characters, one of whom is one of the most beloved comic book characters of all time? Do you think that's what? gives this the nudge where people mm-hmm. fall in love with it more easily than Batman v Superman, which is admittedly a bit more dour in how it approaches things. Sure. So I think, uh, we'll start civil war, uh, here. Um, and we'll tackle Spider-Man first. And I think everything you said about the beloved character, we have an incredible actor who actually can play the character in a way that, uh, you know, is age appropriate. I think he's likable and fun. Uh, all of those things are great. Um, I don't think Spider-Man should be in this movie, and I still feel like that. Um, really? Yeah, I, I've never really? liked no, his I'm, introduction in. I'm this legitimately, movie. legitimately fascinated by that because he he was always I always regarded him as a high point, and and this mm-hmm. time I even he's a bit of a distraction, but a high point. Yep. Why don't you think he should have been in it? And, and you just mentioned it. I, I think he's a distraction. Um, I think his introduction mm. into the film feels like a detour. I know Tony says, well, I know a guy. But oh, it literally is a detour. We fly from Europe all the way back to Brooklyn. So we're going to fly all the way back to... And we've got, what, 36 hours to make this happen? He spends most of the time on a plane to go pick up a teenager to come hmm. to a superhero fight with a bunch of full-grown adult superheroes that have been doing this for a while, and he's going to put this kid in danger, who's literally been nothing but the neighborhood Spider-Man for a few months. If Tony's not making bad decisions already, this is the worst decision that he makes in the movie. That's an interesting perspective. It's terrible. It it to me, it's one more indication that Tony is completely in the wrong because he's willing to put in danger a child for his own ego. That that's a very interesting perspective. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I do love Tom Holland as Spider Man. I think he was a fantastic choice, but I feel like. 
you could have done the Spider-Man arc later and done it very similar same ways without having to shoehorn him into Civil War. And the movie would have been just as good. Um, And I will be honest, I get really annoyed when Spider-Man is like making everything a joke every single second of this really pivotal like scene between all of these characters and then he starts talking about this really old movie and i'm like nobody talks like that about the empire strikes back i know plenty of high schoolers now who don't refer to the empire strikes back as that really old movie like just his dialogue isn't super great for me so that's where it could be a civil war here because I don't I think they made the absolute wrong decision and I know reading about it that the Russos they wanted Spider-Man in this movie and they fought to get Spider-Man in this movie and they feel like he works but if you're going to do that you had to make it more organic because it's not organic storytelling wise let me ask you a question I'll ask you two questions one do you think that they could have sacrificed something else to get to Spider-Man quicker? And two, what would you do to make, since they fought for him, since they wanted him, this is who they want in the movie. At what point could he have come in and how would you have brought it in? Would you, would you have had the showdown in New York instead? Would you have had the showdown Somewhere where it was a little bit more believable, I can pick this kid up on the way. Do you think that ameliorates any of that concern or any of that thought there about how organic it is? Maybe. Maybe. Um, And that's, I mean, again, the way the movie is structured, it's really difficult because, I mean, possibly when Tony's at MIT, maybe he makes a trip up to see Spider-Man, you know, Um, and... Uh, to talk to him since they're about to have this vote and he wants to, you know, let them know and gives him his card. So if he ever needs them, he can call them and that kind of stuff. And maybe uh, I that think helps. You just, I think you just nailed it. No, I think you just nailed it right there. You work them in more more organically by uh, having them make some sort of introduction at that lecture he gives. Uh, there you go, too. Yeah, that could be it. And Tony could say, aren't you a little bit young to be here? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm yeah. still in high school, but I'm in an advanced placement course because I, I just I'm real yeah. good at science or something like that. And have Tony just like furrow his brow and then go into. Uh, you know, the, he meets the woman in the hallway and she's like, mm-hmm. he's a good kid. I had a good kid, too. And I, I think I think right there you're you're right. You could snip it together that quick, at least get Spider-Man in our brains so that it's not out of the clear blue mm-hmm. because. Right. How you know how much time yeah. was Tony spending yeah. surveilling other superheroes <laughs> exactly. that he wanted to draft into the Avengers? Well, yeah. and, and and just think about that when you just mentioned the fact that even trying to snip it together that way again, it still does show Tony being completely irresponsible. You know, he's doing this because he's been guilted into feeling bad about this woman's child that's been lost, and yet he's going to bring a child to a superhero fight, and it's just like. Okay, you, you you might you might take this the wrong way, but I, I please don't. But you are legitimately the only person that I know that's coming at it from that serious an angle. 
I don't disagree with yeah. it. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying it's fascinating. Like I'm, you might notice I'm sort of like stuck on this point because I'm like, yeah, okay, I see where you're going with this. Let me ask you this then, because I think you do bring up some fantastic points. What did Spider-Man actually contribute to that battle? What made him necessary for it? Do you think that that battle... Was there anything he brought to it that was so super necessary it could not have happened without him? I mean, the only thing about it is it kind of evens up the odds a little bit, and it's an unknown for Tony for the other heroes to to battle against, right? Uh, And honestly, I think more than anything, it just adds a lot of jokes. And Let me me ask you this question, too, okay? And this is going to sound nuts. But as we're sitting here fixating on it, and I, I'm just having fun with this and we're, we're breaking this down is because I think it gets to a larger point that there are too many action beats in this. This movie is too long um, and they very easily could have could have condensed a lot of stuff here. Um, you didn't even need the battle at the beginning, really. Uh, it, it was fine, but you very easily could have just gone into them arguing about the, the Sokovia Accords right there. But. With that battle, we've seen Tony, he has so many, he or he had at one point, so many Iron Man suits that he could give them out like candy if he wanted to. And we've seen now that he's at the point where he's got the nanotechnology where he's got Iron Man hand in his watch and stuff like that and bulletproof glasses that apparently don't even leave a bruise when you get shot in the eye. But... Which shock absorption, you know, no, no, let me double back to that. Okay. I'm going to have to double back to that. Don't let me get away from that because it's a very big thing because it's about something else that we've, we've discussed in the past. Anyway, why, like, isn't this whole battle solved in a sense? If instead of just Iron Man and War Machine having suits, Tony's just like, here you go. Everybody gets a suit. Oh, Black Panther, you got one. Cool. Here's a something to shoot, Mm -hmm. you know, repulsor rays out of it. Like, isn't that the solution here? Like Tony just shows up with an army of people in suits and is like, look, you can't beat. you're literally incapable of beating mm-hmm. us at this point. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess everybody pretty much has a suit except, I mean, vision's got, he is vision and you know, the only one that doesn't have one at this point is Natasha. So, which seems a little, doesn't that seem a little cheap? Well, seems a little like, unfair. She's the only person without super armor. Yeah, it's true. Right. It's like Pretty her much. and Hawkeye. Yeah. Her and Hawkeye and now Scarlet Witch and everything. It's like yeah. it's Scarlet Witch like, magic. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. If you get blown up, yeah. eh, collateral damage. No, it's a good but point. Let me do- let me double back to the uh the Tony getting shot in the eye thing. Is what's crazy is I have to deduct points because if you recall our conversation on Snyder Cuts about Batman v Superman, something that I was always very hung up about was no matter how good Batman's armor is, at one point he gets shot in the back of the head. And I'm like, come on now. You're going to tell me the armor, he doesn't even get a headache. And then in this one, Tony gets shot in the eye. And all it is is just like, I'm mildly surprised. And it's like, oh, well, you know, if I got to detract from one, I got to detract from the other, or I got to forgive one and forgive the other here. So I I just wanted to tie that note together because instantly that's what went off in my brain. Well, and I mean, at least in BVS, you had seen... Alfred legitimately adding an extra layer of armor in the helmet. Yeah. And so here it's like, I'm sorry, I don't care how bulletproof your glasses are. That doesn't mean it's not going to hurt like a mother. 
Right. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's more a consistency point, but you know, let's, let's get to Black Panther. Yeah. You know, let's we, we talked about Spider-Man. Black Panther has a terrific introduction. Again, everybody loves Chadwick Boseman for a good reason. Everybody's excited about the Black Panther movie for a good reason coming out of this movie because it's like, oh, oh, wow, this is, this is, this character works really, really well. But I think he had, he is one of the key players in an action beat that I would have removed. And that's mm-hmm. the, the motorcycle chase. Oh, interesting. Do you agree? Or do you think that that action beat is vital? Because mm-hmm. honestly, watching it this time, I was checking the the watch, mm-hmm. so to speak, where I was kind of like, this is kind of dragging. I, so I, let me just say, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that one of the best parts about this film is the way that it introduces a new character and it does it perfectly in Black Panther. I mean, if you want to introduce a new character to a movie and make him pivotal into the film, this is the way to do it. And you know, uh, introducing all of us to Wakanda then as well. And, you know, perfect casting. I, I do think, you know, and, and this is something that, you know, we could ding the whole movie for is that all the action beats are too long. And yeah. the fight at the airport's too long. And this, the, you know, the battle you're talking about there, it's great. And I think what it does is it sets um, a lot of expectations of what's to come. Um, but I do think you could, I mean, do you need that many sequences in the stairwell? Can't you make that go faster so you get yeah. out onto the roof where all three of them are going at it together um, more quickly? Um, I, yeah. So I, I don't have a problem, obviously, with him or anything. And again, I think that the introduction to him is the thing that is is incredible because he just it's it's seamless you know you're introducing this new character but he just feels like he belongs there which is great and it's exactly what you want and like you said not only does he feel great in this film but you come out of this film like give me black panther movie now well i know a lot of people myself included wanted a spider-man movie coming out of this too i mean it like just because I enjoyed Tom Holland so much as Spider-Man, but I, with, with what you're pointing out about Spider-Man, I wonder if it's unfortunate that he might detract a bit from Black Panther mm-hmm. in this, and you should have just introduced Black Panther and been done with it, mm-hmm. and figured right. out another way to bring Spider-Man yep. at some other point, or even have Spider-Man show up at the end, just at the very end. You know, mm-hmm. to yeah, and Tony's like, look, the team's broken. I need somebody else. You know, exactly. like th- there were any yep. of a number of things, yep. but then he doesn't get his charming, you know, debut fight in the context sure. of the movie. Yep. So, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty and everything like that. Now, I, you know me; I have a, a whole fixation on talking about the music. What did you think of the score here? I think Henry Jackman does a good job. Um, obviously, this movie is a lot different than what he did in uh, Winter Soldier, uh, mainly because yeah. it's much more symphonic. Um, and I think that's good. Um, and also, I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking at the end because those 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 cues at the end of the movie, especially when they're battling, um, you know, Cap and Iron Man, he's doing a great job of kind of ripping your heart out with the music as you watch those scenes of these, these two people go uh, at it. And... Um, I, I don't think it's like over the top in the sense of like, 
the best score I've ever heard, but I think it works really well within the movie. I can listen to it outside uh, of the film and yeah. enjoy it as well, but it's not like one of my favorite scores. Yeah, I you know, I, I agree with that. I think that the the music works really well, uh, specifically at the end, like you said. I think also that it's it, it really it's so strange that there are so many scores where we agree that they're good but they're not stellar. Whereas you know, just because we always draw the comparisons. I mean, some of Hans Zimmer's best work is in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. It's just phenomenal work. And it's so strange because do you think that the music reflects the sort of commoditization of this franchise by Disney? Because good enough is good enough, whereas you have this feeling with Zimmer in the other franchise of every single score I do is going to be a work of art. Do you think that's just yeah, a function no, of you're just producing 100%. so many movies yep. you can't slow down and get, you know, an Oscar winner every time? I, I think what's fascinating, obviously, we'll have Michael Giacchino next time because as we talk about uh, Doctor Strange, uh, he does the score for that. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. And so it'll be interesting to see whether or not we think he does a good job. Um, but that's for next episode. Um, but I do think you're right. I, you know, when you, I, again, when you do look at DC, they are bringing in an auteur directors basically with with snyder um and they're bringing in top level talent when it comes to score production um and you know obviously zimmer has some that aren't as great as others but on a whole he is um known for shooting for the fences and sometimes it'll work like gangbusters and sometimes it might not but you know, I mean, it, it makes sense, too, that, that DC would also trust him to come in and, and do those because he'd already proven himself with, with Nolan, and then he continues to prove himself with Nolan. You know, you've seen him do other work with Disney, like, you know, The Lion King and that kind of stuff, which is phenomenal. So, yeah, I think, I do think that it, it, this is the part of, I, I think maybe Phase 3 is, is, is and, and at the end of Phase 2 and Phase 3, is where the 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 scores become, I, I think, more mundane. And I'm really interested now as we move forward with Phase Three, how that goes. Because the only one that I have any remembrance of really is Black Panther, and mainly that's because that score stands out because it's so rhythmically different. Because yeah. it has all of the themes that evoke what we kind of. Like think of of them trying to create a sound for this African nation, and that's perfect. That is exactly what you want. Uh, you know, here I mean, it, it again, it's serviceable, it's good, but it's not necessarily something that I would say it's great. Which is kind of what you would hope, I think, when you're talking about we're doing civil war. Yeah, you know it. It's um. It is nice, though, to get a little bit of a breather from Infinity Stones. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, that, but, but that's the thing, is there's a breather from Infinity Stones in Ant-Man. There's a breather from Infinity Stones here. And, you know, Doctor Strange isn't so focused on the Infinity Stones. And what's interesting is I, we were talking about how you hit the fast forward pedal because you're, 
you're committed to the Infinity Stone arc. Mm-hmm. But as I, as we're sitting here talking about this stuff, I'm like, well, wait a minute. The focus wasn't on the Infinity Stones at all for like the first three of Phase Three. I mean, maybe I'm not remembering Doctor Strange enough. I, I know he has the Eye of Agamotto and everything, but I don't think it was revealed as an Infinity Stone until mm-hmm. after the fact. Correct? Yeah, yeah. And and so it's like, isn't that so strange that we do wind up not? And Black Panther doesn't care about Infinity Stones at all. Guardians of the Galaxy Two doesn't care about Infinity Stones. Nope. Wow. Yeah. My whole my whole mental narrative has fallen apart here. Thor Ragnarok doesn't care about Infinity Stones. So, in a sense, Infinity War like in it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It, it, yeah, it's going to be really weird to see it how It didn't even occur mm-hmm. didn't even occur to me until this conversation that we see the little stinger of fine. I'll do it myself. And then nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, okay. Civil war. They mention a little bit of the stone is in vision, right? That, you know, he met, they, they talk about the stone being what gave vision, uh, his visionness and everything. Okay. But that's a passing reference. Like you, you could, you could walk right past that and not even really think about it. Cause he just, he's yeah. just talking about a thing. Mm-hmm. No, I talk. Hmm. Isn't that so wild? It it is really wild. Um, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you because it is really fascinating, and I, I think, you know, it is one of the things that obviously sets these two characters apart. But when you get to the very end, and it's revealed that Cap knew what had happened to Tony's parents and who it was mm-hmm. that had killed them, and you get Tony, you know, not caring and and basically going to war with Cap over being hurt by the fact that he didn't know and that it was kept from him. And it just, it, it, it's really fascinating because the dichotomy between these two characters of, you know, Cap being one who is somebody who is a soldier um, and yet is somebody who's willing to grant forgiveness and another chance to somebody. And obviously it was his best friend. And obviously, too, Bucky, it's not his fault. Right? Like, he's literally right. brainwashed. There's nothing he can do. Um, and it's just so fascinating to me because what we we continue to see in these films is, you know, Cap is that rock where, you know, that the speech that Sharon Carter gives about, you know, um, you know, you don't move, you know, you you tell everybody else to move, which one of the best speeches ever, obviously. Um, And even if it's the whole world Um, and. And yet Tony is always the one that's moving because he's always the one. Who. uh, Can't stay still, (laughs) Um, but Mm -hmm. he also has the inability to be able to like. Like Tony's been forgiven much by the world, but Tony's not able to forgive. And yeah. it's really interesting to be able to see that dichotomy between these two characters so that the end battle between them has nothing to do with whether or not they choose the accords. It has to do with the fact that Tony's hurt and lashes out yeah. and is willing to kill his friend, quote unquote friend, 
um, because he's hurt by him. And it's 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 kind of scary, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they've just crammed so much into this movie that um, that's, you know, it, it feels a little bloated at points. I think that's why so many of these arcs are interesting, but not fully realized in an emotional sense. I think that um, the the action photography, especially in the first battle, is still annoying to me. Um, there's something wrong with the shutter and all the, the cuts for... Uh, Scarlett Johansson's uh, stunt person and everything are irritating. And it's it's just an interesting sort of thing to come back to because this emotional point that you're talking about with Tony, by the time we get to that point, I don't, it didn't get any emotional reaction from me at all. Where I was like, yeah, Tony, I get that you're hurt. My reaction was, I, mm-hmm. come on. Do you, like, how do you not reason this out like i I, cap's trying to protect uh yeah his friend protect bucky but but i mean even beyond his friend right like iron man is behaving exactly the way that yep they're uh, that they want the the sokovia accords for which is all he's seeking is just to kill somebody Mm -hmm. in vengeance and that has nothing to do with justice nothing at all and it's um, and, but I feel like we we've been down on it. So before before we round third, so to speak, uh, I wanted to ask what your favorite thing about this movie is. What's your favorite thing? What's the thing when somebody says Civil War that mm-hmm. pops into your head? I think that the thing that I love about this movie, and I might have loved it even more in this rewatch because of this, was what the movie is saying, especially through Captain America and looking at, you know, government overreach, uh, in the worst possible way. And I think that this movie might be even more relevant today than it was when it first came out. And to me, that's the hallmark of a good film that it grows with time. And so uh, rewatching this movie, I was hit really hard with how much I resonated with Captain America being unwilling to yield to a government looking to take away his freedom and his choice. Mm -hmm. And it's powerful. It's really powerful. And specifically because, again, you know, you do tie it to that that um that speech you know about you know when the whole world and the whole country decides that something is wrong that it uh is right you know you don't move you tell everybody else to move and i think it's yeah. powerful um and i think it speaks more volumes now than it did when it first came out And that's the thing that I love about this movie and I continue to love about this movie. Um, And so, yeah, for me, that's that's really the thing that uh, I continually gravitate towards this movie for. And um, I'm I. I'm almost shocked that this movie says it. (laughs) Yeah, I I I think that this um, I, I don't know that I could add anything 
in addition to that, just because I agree with it. Uh, that is the thing that sticks with me, even above the fact that I thought Black Panther's introduction was stellar. I loved Spider-Man in it. I, I, I freely recognize and concede and agree with the, the flaws that you point out with Spider-Man's introduction. But in the moment when I first saw it and even here, I wind up forgiving those things because I just, I think Tom Holland, he showed up to work knowing that this was his star making turn. Sure. He, he showed up that day saying, this is how my career gets made. And God bless him for absolutely uh, getting that done. Um, but yeah, I mean, primarily, uh, I, I agree with you, obviously. Uh, I do want to sneak in that something I don't think I caught the first time, or if I did, I forgot since then, or what have you, is the fact that they snuck in that Bucky, his little prison cube, is marked D23, which is Disney's big expo. And I I, I thought that was easily one of the best uh, Easter eggs that I've ever seen in a Disney movie because it's so subtly done. Nobody says D23. Nobody points to D23. The camera doesn't linger on it. It's one of those things where when you're watching it, if you know what D23 is, you go, huh, huh okay, cute. It doesn't take you out of it. It's just like a little smile and you keep moving. So, and, and of course the arrested development, uh, uh, airplane stairs truck being at the airport yeah. is a fantastic <laughs> nod. It's one of the best nods it's great. In, in cinema yeah. history. Yeah. So, you know, I, but yeah, I, I agree with you. The, uh, the whole cap thing is, is terrific. I love, just you know chris evans is just so good in this role and he really in a sense i i, mm-hmm. I almost feel like evans is so good in this role that's why there's no other choice than team cap mm-hmm. because i i look at these characters and i'm like i would i would follow this guy to the ends of the earth mm-hmm. i'd follow him to the gates of hell like this is a leader this is a guy that i'm going to lead and i think that's one of the things that really jumps out too is Cap is such a leader and Tony is just, uh, you know, a boss sort of thing. Ah, it's a good point. I like, I like the way you said that because it it absolutely is true, you know, Um, and it makes sense. Um, You know, Cap is somebody who has given his life to service. Yeah. You know, Um, and, and, and it's interesting because unlike Rhodey who has done the same thing, they're on completely opposite ends of the spectrum with things, which is fascinating. But I do think there is a vast difference in their experiences. You know, World War II vet and understanding the realities of, of you know, fascism and, and communism and all these type of things being a big part of his world um, and, you know, being ardently against those things and, and the differences of, of the, the world that Rhodey's been in, you know, it's, it's, it's very different here. Here's, here's a question for you. I, I guess sort of like a last parting question. Rhodey. Do you feel that it's a cheat at all that he not only survives, but 
is immediately like there's no lasting impact there we this is sort of a thing that gets under my skin sometimes with marvel where it's like there's no residual impact of this terrible thing that happened at the end of the movie everything's okay again and it it, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel right yeah. yeah in a sense i'm not saying i want rody to die i'm saying that it would be okay for him to be even in the wheelchair or a hospital bed sure. and Tony making the promise, you know, I've got the tech, I can help you. Mm-hmm. We're going to get you back up as opposed to he's already walking again at the end of the right. movie. Yeah. It just feels a little accelerated, which is something that I also pinged Batman V Superman for where the, you know, the, 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 the coffin starts vibrating mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. Right. Um, I don't like that whole thing where it's like, let it be resolved for the duration of one movie, please, and then come back to it in the next one. So, yeah, I think I think that's a good thought as to the fact that it doesn't need to have been everything at once. Like the fact that you realize, oh, yeah, he's already going to be walking by the next movie, that it does seem um, a little bit over the top. Um, and it, it's something to which. You know, um, I might continue to have issues with with Marvel films in the sense of not being able to allow um, consequences to to go on um, or happen in their movies, really. And so, yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, I do have to ask you one more question because it's just such an interesting thing. You know, in Winter Soldier, we introduced the character of Sharon Carter. And how... She obviously gets the moment here to give the most important speech of Captain America's life. Um, yeah. And I, do you, should she been in this movie or do you think that they need, um, should she have been in it more? I mean, I, I almost, I, mm. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to feel about the fact that, you know, she is supposed to be this really important character in Cap's life, and yet they seem to continually be shortchanging her appearances. Uh, I think she would have had more screen time if Spider-Man wasn't in it. But I think that for the time that she is on screen, they make the most of it. And I, I enjoy her time on screen. I do enjoy the tie back to... Winter Soldier, but I, I do think that there's so much crammed in here, and you know the joke about it being Avengers 2.5. I think her presence is an indication that this originally started as a sequel mm-hmm. to oh, it absolutely Winter did, Soldier, yeah. and then grew from the fact that Avengers: mm-hmm. Age of Ultron was. I suspect there were some rewrites where they said, uh, "Okay, we gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta." bring some other things in here to, to sort of even, yeah. even this stuff out. But I, I definitely think that this is a movie. Yep. The Russo brothers do a fantastic job shepherding it to where it ends mm-hmm. up. But this is definitely a movie caught between, is it a sequel to Captain America or is it a sequel to the Avengers? I think that's really yep. the core tension there. And I think that, that Sharon Carter is the, the best symbolic character to point to for that. Yeah. Cause I know, that it was not always their intention to do civil war. That's not how they started their ideas. Yeah. But that's the mandate they got. Was basically you're yeah. going to do civil war, and so they made it work. So 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely. And they right. did make it. They did make it work. I think the Russos. I think probably, like Winter Soldier, puts them on the map, and everybody says, "Oh wow." I think Civil War. The fact that they get all of those, like Age of Ultron, Whedon complains. He whines constantly. Oh well, they meddled so much. They gave me all of these notes. There were all these things I had to do. And the Rousseau brothers don't complain about it, and they churn out a movie that the audiences love and makes everybody excited for the next movies. Yeah. And it made a billion dollars. And and they got just as many studio notes. Yeah. So it's like, I, I really think that that's, this is the moment where the Rousseaus cement it as they're your mm-hmm. go-to people for, for these bigger projects. No, I heartily agree with you. I, I think you're absolutely on target. And it's obviously why they come back and do Avengers Infinity War and yep. Endgame because they can be trusted with these massive films that are holding so many characters and for the most part yep. do them justice. So, um, well, to figure out what your score for this film is, I'm really interested, John, of where you land with Civil War as a rating. It, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, especially because it's going to make me sick to my stomach to give it the rating that I'm going to give it for two reasons. One, I know that I'm probably from some people's perspective after listening to me through this being too generous in one regard. And also because some people might feel that I'm being too harsh in one regard uh, because I sort of split the difference here and I wind up giving it three and a half stars. Good. Not great, but good. And what will probably get under everybody's skin is if they do go over and listen to Snyder Cuts, they'll realize that for the ultimate edition, ultimate edition, underscore ultimate edition, not theatrical cut, that I gave the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman four stars. So in the battle of civil war versus Batman v Superman, as long as we're talking about ultimate edition, uh, that one wins. So mm-hmm. isn't it funny how the tables have turned on that one? It's a little but, bit funny. Uh, this yeah, a little inside. bit. Um, yeah. So where do you end up? It's so interesting because when I went back to Letterboxd, this was a four. And it would seem like the way that I talked about this movie, um, that it would probably just stay there, right? Like, you know, um, it's not going to go up or down. But it's going to go up. Really? Yeah. And even with the problems that I still have with Spider-Man in the film, the thematic elements outweigh that. And mainly because I find them even more relevant today than I did when I first saw the movie, I'm going to get half a star more. I'm going to give it four Interesting. and a half. Who would have seen that coming? Uh, no one. That's, you know, and um, again, I, I think that this is the strength of a film. Um, and I think this is the strength of um, making good thematic films because characters thematic work all of that can overcome a lot and again even though i did not love the introduction of spider-man tom holland as spider-man is fantastic so now this is where the rubber meets the road Mm -hmm. what is your ranking this is where it gets a little tricky 
because as you know, star rating doesn't always end up mm-hmm. with true. you know determining strictly where it lands. Rewatchability comes in in a big way. Uh, all those different sorts of things. So rankings: Winter Soldier remains on top. Iron Man three coming right there. Ant Man surprisingly in in my third slot. Iron Man uh, right there. Uh, then Guardians of the Galaxy. Then uh, it's a very close race between uh, Captain America Civil War and Captain America the First Avenger. I think Civil War nudges it out. So it's going to wind up right after Guardians of the Galaxy, then Captain America the First Avenger, then Hulk, then Avengers, Thor, Age of Ultron, Thor the Dark World, and the worst of the worst, the stepchild that I never invite to Christmas, Iron Man 2. And where does uh, Civil War oh, wind man, up with you? I love that. It's, it's great. It's perfect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is really interesting because it actually, where the way my list has been on Letterboxd for years with Marvel has changed. Uh, there's been a titanic shift at the top. Captain America, Winter Soldier, still number one. Iron Man is number two. That's not where it used to be. Interesting. Yeah. Number three, Iron Man three. Yeah. Number four, Civil War. It used right. to be number two. It's not anymore. So, uh, then wait. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's how the list used to look. If you were to look, but it huh. doesn't look like that anymore. Uh, First Avenger, number five. Uh, Ant-Man would be uh, number six. Uh, And then Incredible Hulk, number seven. Guardians of the Galaxy, number eight. Nine, The Avengers. Uh, And then you get to uh, Thor The Dark World. Then Iron Man 2. And then Thor... And last, where it absolutely 100% belongs, Age of Ultron. I, I will say that uh, after this, I could easily see Age of Ultron, my dislike of it growing, and its presence in the bottom of the list racing down <laughs> like a stone. So, because each, sub- each subsequent movie is making Age of Ultron look worse. So, yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it is really interesting because, again, for me, that, that rewatching the movie, it might have gotten an extra half a star, but I realized that I like Iron Man and Iron Man 3 more in the sense of that I would rewatch them before Civil War, even though I I gave it half a star more. So Interesting. So crazy, right? Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. So I love these titanic shifts uh, that are happening for both of us, John. It, it, this is what makes this so fun. And, and of course, next week... We'll be diving into Doctor Strange, but before it gets strange up in this place, where can people find you, John? Well, you can uh, start a civil war with my rating about the third Captain America movie or uh, delve into strange things by finding me as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E, out there on your social network of choice. Letterbox is the most fun. And you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, uh, co-hosting two shows. One is called House Lights, where we look at the work of directors uh, from start to finish or by decade or anything like that. And it's 
that's been really interesting because as we record this, we're nearing the end of uh, looking at Tim Burton in the 1990s and seeing the the adulation of Burton drain from my two co-hosts' veins (laughs) as we re-examine Burton of the 1990s has been quite a trip to go on. As it should. Quite a trip. (laughs) It's really interesting. Uh, And of course, I'm co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast uh, that I find to be delightful that I co-host with you, Matt Rushing. And uh, you could find me all over social media named Matt Rushing 2 Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, Twitter, all of those places, all the different social media platforms. Look for that. Uh, You could find me, of course, here on the network as well, not only in the 602 Club feed, uh, but also doing literary treks. The Orb and Warp 5 Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise, and The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then over on the Nerd Party Network, I have a finished show that was called Owl Post. I did that with Dre Kaufman, and we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. Avengers! Avengers!